How's everybody doing this morning? You okay? Good morning to everybody who's online. Sometimes we forget that uh, we have a lot of people who are watching online. So good morning to you guys. We love you guys. Uh, Missing everybody. So thankful uh, that you're there. I hope you have your pants on. (laughs) Part of watching online, you have the pants option. (laughs) You do not have that here on Sunday mornings, just in case you're wondering. So uh, please wear your pants to service if you're going to show up with us. It's super awkward for me if you don't. Okay, so we're going to jump in, uh, jump in again with this uh, series we've been doing on uh, stand. Uh, I read Ephesians six uh, ten through thirteen, and so I'm just going to read that again, kind of get us started. This is kind of where, where we launch from. Um, Paul says, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute, Um, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And so we talked last week a little bit about this whole preparation thing and how um, Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible has this in its translation in verse 13. It says, um, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And that's, I think, something that we forget so often. Uh, we talked last week about how, you know, there's an evil day, and that could just be, a, you know, you're just having a bad day in general. But there are also days like we're experiencing now where the evil seems to have risen a little higher than it, than it normally has. And so there's some challenges that we faced, that we're facing. And part of the challenge is, is if we're not ready for that, we find ourselves falling in the day that we need to stand. And so uh, there's a scripture, my wife quotes this from time to time, if you, if you fall when the, uh, say, it, say it for me real quick if you remember this. If you fail, thank you. If you fail in the day of adversity, then your strength is weak. And so that's a, that's a really interesting scripture because it feels kind of accusational, right? It's like, you know, shame on you. But that's not true. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is just pointing out a fact. If you find yourself in a pattern of failing when times get tough, then there's something that you need to do beforehand, before the next day of evil, before the next, that next scenario or that situation or circumstance arises. And if you don't do that, let me just say this as plainly as I can, you will fail again. And again, and again, and again. But that is not God's intention. God's intention is that we're the head, not the tail. There's this picture that God always wants to bring to us that there's a, a constant um, access to growth and maturity. That doesn't mean you will do it. Because to do that, you have to take personal responsibility for your own growth in your own life. Stop blaming other people. Stop blaming the devil because the devil's just not more powerful than God. Right? And that's why the Bible says to stand in his might, not your own might. So we've covered a lot of that. But I want to talk today about um, verse 14. It says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And so I'm going to just talk about the belt of truth. Um, most people forget that Paul was in, he was in ha- house arrest at one point in his life. And that there were, there were constant Roman guards there for him. He, was, you know, he had to stay in one place. But he had relationship with them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he won many of those guys to the Lord in Caesar's household even. So he had access to this Roman armor and he saw it all the time. He, saw, he would see them, you know, maybe take off their belt or put on their belt or take off a piece of armor and put it on. And so he uses this analogy, this, this illustration of this Roman 
um, this Roman armor on purpose because part of what he's trying to do is show us how this preparation exists for us as Christians. And so there's lots, again, lots of other places that Scripture speaks to this. But the whole idea behind this, this, this belt of truth, and, he, and he, he classifies it as a belt because the belt went on before all the armor. And, and what it did is it held everything together, and it was the thing on which all the other armor connected to, right? So you see the illustrations, like it wasn't an accident how he was, how he was painting this picture, that the breastplate of righteousness won't help if there's no belt holding it there, right? Um, all these connected pieces won't work if this, if this piece is not there. And, and it's interesting because he said it, it's round about you. Like, you know, you wrap this thing around you, um, and, and again, it just served as a place to hang all, all the armor. So, uh, so some of you guys know my story a little bit about how I gave my life to Christ, but um, I had a boss in the Air Force, uh, my supervisor, who was a Christian, and so I worked with him every day, and he eventually invited us to church, but he would share Christ with me periodically, and I was like, oh, that's nice for you. You know, I grew up in the South around Birmingham, so, you know, everybody's a Christian, everybody's not a Christian. It was just kind of cultural to me. But, it, but he was different. And, and one of the things that happened is as I began to pursue this, I visited a couple times, I heard the gospel, and it, and it gripped me. I remember one time sitting in a, in a, we had chairs, not pews, but I sat and held on to the chairs. Our pastor gave the altar call to come and give your life to Christ because I'd been, I'd been thinking about it and working through this gospel presentation. And he's given, he's given the, uh, you know, the, the altar call for us to come. And I'm literally holding onto the chair with my knuckles turning white because I want to go so bad, but there's something holding me back. And some of that, frankly, was just intellectual, some intellectual stuff. I had some problems with Christians that I'd met in the past who were maybe not mature Christians. And so in my head, they, were the, they were represented Christ. It turns out they weren't doing a very good job of representing Christ. And some of that, of course, is going to be myself. But I, I, thankfully, I was introduced to some, some books, um, messages. I mean, there's a lot of things that would happen. But I chose to follow Christ. I kept going to church. I kept having conversations with my, my uh, supervisor at work. And eventually, I came to know Christ. But part of my process was I read books by like, uh, men like C.S. Lewis, uh, Josh McDowell, these apologists, because I had questions, intellectual questions about certain things. And I remember reading uh, Mere Christianity, and, and that's a, kind of a, a dumbed-down version from C.S. Lewis. If you know anything about C.S. Lewis, he's a pretty intelligent guy. So I'd try to read his other stuff, and I would come back to Mere Christianity because the sentences were smaller. Anybody else with me? Okay, just me. Um, but I actually got a hold of a book that was really helpful that was based on that called More Than a Carpenter by a guy by the name of Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell's in his 80s now. But he was challenged in, in university because he was, he was kind of anti-Christian, anti-God. He, he didn't want anything to do with it. And he heard a presentation, a speaker come to his college, and, and, the, and the guy was presenting Christ, and he, was, he wanted to push back, so he had coffee with him after and the guy just stopped him. He said, listen, I've heard all the arguments. I had all the arguments before I became a believer. I'm just as smart as you, if not smarter. That was a little bit of a kind of a jab toward him because um, he was kind of an, an arrogant person, he said, in that scenario. He said, but I want to challenge you to do this. And this is why this is so helpful, why it was so helpful for me. He said, I want to challenge you to put truth on the throne of your heart. And he said, you didn't mishear me. I didn't say I want to challenge you to put Jesus on the throne of your heart. Now, that bothers some Christians, but it didn't bother me. And the reason why is because I had seen so many versions of Jesus, right, from, from the, the guys I went to high school who had the, you know, had the country music Jesus, basically, you know, just good morals and drive a truck and, you know, don't do 
too many horrible things and you're good. You know, that kind of, that kind of Jesus. I, I'd seen the, you know, the knock on the door Jesus. And, and I've, I've, I'd heard a lot of Jesuses, read some stuff. I mean, we didn't have the internet back then, so I wasn't nearly as confused as this generation. But I was pretty confused, right? Sorry, that was a poke if you're a little bit younger. So, so, but I, I, was, I, was expecting, I was expecting to see, you know, to hear this guy present a religious conversation. That's not what he did. He challenged me to, just like he did with Josh McDowell, Josh McDowell turns and challenges me in that book, to put truth on the throne of your heart. Have you done that? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, have you done that? Because again, everything that quacks is not a duck. That's a theological statement, and I stand by it, okay? Everything that quacks is not a duck. And so just because someone presents it and just because churches has presented it doesn't mean it's accurate. And so that was really helpful for me because it allowed me to, have, to be a critical thinker when I did not think you could be a Christian and also be a critical thinker. I thought you had to just give in or, or finally just trust it or just have faith. And all those terms for me were, was to throw your mind away. And I realized that God was not interested in that at all. Turns out that he made your brain. And he was quite happy with it when he made it. He's like, this is a good thing, right? And so he he meant for us to think. He meant for us to process. And so Scripture does not back away from any of those things. As a matter of fact, when you read the Bible, I remember reading the Bible going, man, you guys are kind of making yourselves look bad in some of these passages. Like some of your heroes are not that heroic, right? But that was the whole point behind this was God had no problem and still has no problem with allowing truth to be completely true. So that means when Christians are exposed or Christian leaders are exposed for doing things that they ought not have been doing and it turns out that they're hypocrites, God doesn't go, oh, myself, what will I do? Right? It doesn't surprise him. And so I think that's something I think that's helpful for us. And we, you know, when there are attacks against Christianity, um, I remember reading this about the Bible and it would just impress me so much. It's like the, the Bible is an anvil on which many a hammer has been broken. Because the Bible's true, and that's the beautiful thing about it, is that, that when, you, when you understand truth in the way that biblical truth is presented, then it solves the issues for you. There may be inconsistencies in the beginning. There were for me. But when I put truth on the throne of my heart, what I found was I actually found Jesus, and it turns out we're going to read it in just a second, because he is truth, right? He didn't tell the truth, although he did, <laughs> right? But he is truth. The truth, And so if I put truth on the throne of my heart and I'm honest, if I'm intellectually honest, if I'm honest in my emotions, my heart, I will find the real Jesus. So I want to challenge you as we kind of go through this message that that's what you do. So Pilate asked this famous question, you know, in John, this is John 18, 37. He asked the question, what is truth? And I think that's an actually a really good question, but I want to talk about this, this passage a little bit. So Pilate, this is John 18, 37 and 38. It says, Pilate therefore said to him, Jesus... Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Listen, that I should bear witness to the truth. That's the, he said, this is the reason I'm here, right? To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. See, that was the challenge that that, that professor gave Josh McDowell. If you will put truth on the throne of your heart, you will hear Jesus, because this is what he literally says. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You can't help but do that eventually, right? Verse 38 says, Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now listen, he didn't really want an answer. 
<laughs> right? Which is commonplace nowadays. People ask questions, they really want an answer. Because the answer has some accountability tied to it, right? So you don't want any of that, anything to do with that. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. And so this is one of the first pictures of relative truth, right? Um, for him, he found his truth was that Jesus was innocent. He found no fault in him. He even said it. But the Jews did. And so for political expediency and to, you know, to give in to the mob, which is literally what he did, their truth was that he was guilty. So he didn't go after, he didn't try to discover the truth. He had his truth and their truth, and their truth was more expedient, so he went with that. Right? We see that right now in, in our culture. It's prevalent. Um, fake news, right? It's popular phrases out right now. <laughs> President Trump made it popular, but you know both sides of the aisle work on it and, and use it to, to their advantage. But it comes ultimately from what the Nazis figured out. Um, Hitler actually, in his book, uh, he actually wrote about the big lie, what he called the big lie. And again, it's, it's very interesting. It's a lie. This is how he described it in his book. It's a lie so colossal that no one would believe that someone could have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. So a lie so big, we're all going, well, nobody would make that up, right? Except he did, right? And he, he almost destroyed the world with that kind of lie. And so that's kind of an interesting thing because, you know, the Bible talks about the enemy being the father of lies. Like his, his whole goal is to give you untruth or a mixture of truth and a lie. And what your job and your role as a disciple is to find the truth. And it turns out that the truth is not just a thing, it's a person. And we're going to get into that. And, you know, Goebbels, this was uh, his minister of propaganda, Hitler's minister of propaganda. He said, if you tell a lie, he was, he, we're not sure he said this, but, but it was attested that he did. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it long enough, people will eventually come to believe it. And that's true. Like, if you notice that, like, there are certain things that if you go and you, you actually, I mean, there, the good thing is you can actually go back and listen to a full report of something. Like, someone recorded the entire thing, but then some news media puts a partial piece out, out of context, that says it, it, it makes it say something that it, he's not actually, or, or she's not actually saying. And again, both sides play this game. So, so what do you do? You know, it's like the question becomes for us is like, well, can I even know the truth? Is, is it even possible to know the truth? And I have an answer for that in just a second. But it's interesting because we end up not knowing what to believe. I hear this regularly right now. I just don't even know what to believe anymore. And so my challenge is, is to you is, well, get to, the, get to the truth, right? Like, I don't mean just go do research, right? Because, you know, the thing you're doing research on might be lying to you right? I read a book, and books don't lie. It's like, you know, that's what we said in my day, and now it's like the internet never lies. Everybody knows the internet never lies, right? But you're like, no, I lie. So, <laughs> and, and I'm trying to do the right thing, and sometimes I, I'm like, why did I do, I didn't need to do, even do that, right? So we know it's possible. So we see this again in culture. Oprah Winfrey is, is famous for this. Um, she, she made a speech recently um, when she was uh, receiving a, an award, and she talked, this was her phrase, she said, speaking your truth is the most powerful tool that we all have. And right? And a lot of people kind of was like, hold up a second. What do you mean your truth? Why didn't she use the truth? And so, and that's an interesting kind of, kind of uh, scenario because that's what we're kind of seeing. And we do this as, a, as an exercise in our own lives. When, when, when something is too difficult, um, oftentimes we block it out. Grief will do this. 
I mean, you, you've seen this. Maybe this has even happened to you. It's like it's so tragic and so horrible, something that occurred to you, that you just can't face it. There's not enough emotion left in you to even face it. It turns out in psychology, like PTSD is a common, obviously a common thing in our day with the wars that we fought and so many of our soldiers going over and coming back with PTSD. And they say that one of the biggest causes of PTSD is not the fact that horrible things happen to people, right? That's a given. That happens, you know, car accidents, you see horrible things here, murders, violent, violent uh, murders. So what happens is a person does not have a framework for evil. So they're in a situation where someone perpetrates evil against them. Usually it's not so much them as it is they lose a buddy or something, someone real close and they see it and they can't imagine there is no place in their worldview for that kind of evil. Or they end up shooting someone and they kill someone or they do something that they cause someone's death and they cannot believe that they are capable of perpetrating evil on someone's life. And so what happens is often the way they treat PTSD is to not take them away from it, but actually push them further towards it until they face the truth of what occurred and the implications of that, which means there is evil in this world. And so that's an interesting thing that so often we pull back from the truth because we don't necessarily like the implications of the truth. I know I did that when I was studying the Bible, when I was trying, you know, when I was hearing the gospel and I was learning about this, the, the whole thing about everyone is a sinner. You, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't like that because I'm a nice guy, right? I mean, I, I joke about this. It's like we always compare ourselves to somebody else. And at the time, the serial killer that was the most famous was Jeffrey Dahmer. And I was like, you know, I ain't never ate nobody. I mean, you know, I always compare myself to somebody who's far, far worse than me. I never compare myself to someone who's better than me. Like, you know, I don't, I'm like, you know, Mother Teresa. Well, let's not talk about Mother Teresa. You know, she's sacrificial. She gave her life. No, let's talk about Jeffrey Dahmer. Because that's easy because, man, the scale goes hard in my direction, right? So we avoid it. So this thing about absolute truth is something that people often avoid. Why? Why is it if, 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 if relative truth is, is, the, is the only option we have, then what it creates is it, it creates this concept of truth that changes from person to person. And if that occurs, there is no firm ground to stand on. So when we're talking about this series we're doing, how do you stand in the day of evil? If you don't know truth, if you don't understand truth, if you have not embraced truth, if, if truth is relative, it's just depending on the circumstances or the person who has decided what that truth is going to be, then there is no way to stand in this world. It's impossible which is what you see. People are confused. They're, they're, you know, oftentimes they're, it leads them down a path that leads to worse things than even the thing that they're dealing with. So let me just acknowledge this because this is helpful for me. This was helpful for me to learn this. There is subjective truth. You, know, you have objective that doesn't change, subjective that does. There is some truth that's subjective. Let me just give you an example. If I have a coat on and I say, I, I say I'm not cold, but you don't have a coat on, and you say you're cold, well, both of those things can be true, right? They're determined by the context. I'm wearing a coat, you're not wearing a coat, so I'm not cold, but you are. But if you say the objective thing is, is it cold outside? Either it is or it isn't, right? Which is why when we see someone <laughs> at a bus stop, I heard a comedian talk about this, he said, you know, poor people like me, we can't afford a psychiatrist, so we just go to the bus stop and work it out, right? You just start talking to yourself. You ever do that? You just start talking to yourself. 
Just me. Okay. So driving down the road, just talking to yourself, working your stuff out, <laughs> right? Because, again, this, they're wearing, usually I say that because they're usually wearing a coat when they're doing that in the middle of, you know, 100-degree weather. It's like, okay, you know something's wrong with them because everybody knows it's cold outside. That's an objective truth. But it's helpful to understand this because what's being pushed on us, even in the church, is this thing called relativism. So let me just give you the definition of it. It's the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context, and they are not absolute. Now, why is this important? Things like gender. The big argument, is gender absolute? Or is it constructed? Is it a social construct? Is morality a social construct? And through the Enlightenment, if you study history, all of these things, we get to the Enlightenment and people say in the Enlightenment, you know, the, the, uh, the proponents of the Enlightenment say, you know what, um, we don't need religion to do the right thing. And so that's the argument, and that became the argument into the universities, and then that became the prevailing thinking in the universities. And so now we have people who, have, who, who submit themselves to rel- relative truth, relative morality, there are no absolutes, and then now we have this thing called neo-Marxism. Uh, uh, what's the other word for it? Uh, I'll think of it in a second. Anyway, it's this whole concept of, of uh, there are, there's no meta-narrative. Right? There's no big narrative that can tell the story because everything is dependent on you and your own perspective, right? Which is why someone can say, you know what, I identify as something that I'm not actually physically, in terms of gender or race or age. And, and I've heard people push back on this, and, and, but that is the prevailing thought in, a world, in the world that we live in is that truth is relative. But truth is objective, and we know that. There's this thing even in science called universal knowledge. Um, for example, the law of physics, don't have exceptions depending on which culture you're in. One example of subjective truth or relativism is that's rude, right? In the South, we grew up, being told there are certain things you don't say. Like I couldn't say toilet, right? I had to say bathroom, really restroom. Bathroom was even a little bit off. You know, I'd say restroom. So that got me in trouble when I went to England because I walked in, I said, where's the restroom? And the guy said, right there. And I look over there and it's just a big room with chairs to rest in. And I'm like, okay, if I go in there, I'm going to have a whole other problem, right? So it can create problems in your culture, right? So we get that this, these things, some things are sub- subjective, but we know to treat some, to mistreat someone because of their race, to mistreat someone because of their belief system, to mistreat some, someone because of any of those things is wrong regardless of how they are presenting themselves, right? So we understand this, and this is, again, something I think that we all know. One of the big things that you see in the pushback is there's this, this skepticism that we can even know the truth. And that's what Pilate did. Pilate said, what is truth? Can we even know truth, Right? which is just a subtle way of saying I don't have to take responsibility for objective truth. I'm just going to submit to the cultural lie that's there. Ravi Zacharias, who passed away recently, an incredible apologist, um, he talked about this thing called the law of non-contradiction. So it states that contradictory propositions cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. In other words, if I say there's a blue car parked out in the front, it either is parked out in the front or it's not, but it can't be both at the same time, right? So we kind of understand that. And so why is that important? For someone to say there's no objective truth is in itself an objective truth statement. 
right? So what happens is, again, when you present this and someone gets it for the first time, boy, it really, really messes with it. It did me. I remember when I said, well, you know, can you, can you really even know truth is actually a truth statement. See how it works? And I know it, it messes with your head a little bit to wrap your head around this. But when you finally get that, you say, you know what? It turns out that we all operate with absolutes all of the time. People go, it doesn't really matter what you believe. I did this with a guy I was working with one time. He said, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you, as long as you believe it with all of your heart. I'm like, that is just stupid, man. I, I'm so going to take advantage of this guy, right? I'm going to sell him a bridge in Brooklyn. And so the, the whole thing I shared with him later on, I let some time go by, and I'm like, I'll mess with him. And I said, hey, man, I, I know someone who can help you with, your, uh, with watching your kids. I know you're looking for a babysitter. I said, this guy, he really loves kids. He said, really? Can I get his number? I said, yeah, man. I said, but, I, you know, we want to talk a bit about, he just got out of prison. He's like, what? Why would you say, why would you present to me someone Got out of prison to watch my kids. I said, well, this wasn't anything violent, man. He's just a pedophile. <laughs> he didn't talk to me. This is a true story. He didn't talk to me for three weeks. He didn't talk to me at all. And part of the reason why is I yanked out his worldview in a second. Because it turns out that he was living that lie, and he had made excuses, and he was hiding behind it. And what I did is we just, again, with logical thinking, just tore it all down, brought truth to bear, and he had to deal with the truth, and he did not want to. So we ended up having some incredible conversations about, about the Lord, and I ended up praying with him at one point. It was really, really amazing. But again, there's this, there's this way of saying, if, there's, if you say that there is no truth, you're actually saying, you're actually making a true statement. So there's a famous um, philosopher. He's a, a Scottish philosopher. Uh, Alastair Chalmers McIntyre is his name. And he talks about this concept of a watch. And so he says, um, it's impossible to, ter- to determine if a watch is good or bad unless you know what it's for. So think about that for a second. It, and why this is, I'm going to tell you why this is important in just a second. But if you, if you say a person, well, a person's basically good. Or, a pers- or that person's bad, right? You're making a true statement now, Right? So Jesus made a lot of true statements, and we're going to get to those in just a second. But when you make those true statements, what's happening is you're presenting something that you don't really have an option with. It, it's either true or it's not true. It's either A, it's A, but it can't be not A. Does that make sense? It's, the, it's that logical exclusion. You can't do that. And so it forces you to have to deal with this concept. And so he says if you, if you, if you don't know, if the purpose of a watch is to hammer a nail, it's not a very good watch, right? Watches aren't good for that because they tend to break pretty easy. But if it's for telling time, then it turns out it's actually really good for that purpose. The same thing is true for you and I. If you don't know your purpose here as a, as a human being, if you don't know why you're here, then how in the world are you ever going to determine whether you're good or bad? Relativism becomes a defense mechanism just to be alive in the world that we live in. But if you ever, for one moment, discover that there's a purpose and a reason for you to exist, that God made you, and, you know, Psalm 100 talks about this, we are, we are uh, God made us, we did not make ourselves, we are the sheep of his pasture. He made us, we didn't make us. We, we, I say this many, many times when I'm preaching this, that the Bible says that we are altogether not like him, Right? 
in the sense that he is, God is unique in a certain way, that there are many things that make us, that are similar, and God, we're made in his image, and we can become like him, and there's lots of things that can change and move us that direction, but if we, if we're not careful, what we do is we tend to make God out to be like us, rather than recognize that we were made out to be like him, and it's a subtle little switch, but when you know that truth, when you recognize that there's a reason and a purpose for you to exist, everything changes. Morality begins to make sense. Why should you stay married? I hear this all the time. What's marriage anyway but a piece of paper? I'm like, is that what you really believe? <laughs> because if that's true, there's no such thing as a Christian marriage, right? And it turns out that marriage really doesn't exist outside of a Christian marriage because Christianity is, is the one who presented this and said, hey, men were made for women and women were made for men and the whole idea was to put these two together in a loving, committed relationship that makes babies and raises them up and creates a community that helps to serve and bless one another. That's the design for all of this. And people say, well, is same-sex marriage okay? No, unfortunately not. Not because I have a problem with someone, well, I'm in love with them. Man, you could be in love with a tree. I don't care, right? That's up to you. I'm not being mean-spirited. I'm just saying that the, the context of who you're in love with doesn't matter because if you're saying, hey, I want a marriage, you have to define marriage based on truth, not on moral relativism and on the culture that we exist in. Racism, we're, we're seeing this right now. Racism cannot exist without absolutes. But they want, the culture wants both racism and relative, uh, relative truth. But you cannot have both of those at the same time. See how it works? And so it's interesting that in this, in this world where we think is kind of coming apart at the seams, in many ways, God is presenting a field, a harvest field that is white and ready for the picking. People are curious. People want to know. They feel the, the, they feel the dichotomy in their own lives when they see the hypocrisy that's going on, whether it's COVID-19, wear a mask, don't wear, wear a mask, whether it's uh, uh, institutional racism or not institutional racism. Of course, racism exists. Everybody knows that. We're not stupid, right, because sin exists. But what about institutional racism? But you can't have these arguments without some form of absolute truth. And what the world wants is they want their way of thinking independent of truth. And you can't have it. It doesn't work. And so it's helpful to understand this. And this is why, this is why Paul made this connection about why truth is a belt. See, it's designed to hold everything else together. And if you don't have it, you can believe in Jesus all day long, right? Jesus, take the wheel. It's like I only want the Jesus that drives me when I'm in emergencies, right? Is that, the, is that, your, Jesus, is that your worship song, <laughs> right? My point is, is we, we can have a cultural Jesus and be okay with it as long as there's no such thing as absolute truth. But Jesus won't allow that. So this is what he said, John 14, 5, 6. We know this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And listen to this. And how can we know the way? which is just a Christian version of what Pilate said, what is truth? Lord, I, it's too hard. This world is tough. It's too hard. How can, can we even know what's right? Yes, you can. And when you know that, it settles something inside of you, and the storms can rage around you, but they won't affect you. And that's what we all need. He said, this is Jesus' answer. Thomas is asking, can we even know the way? And this is Jesus answering on how he can know the way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, 
Not I'll show you the way. It's not a list of rules and regulations. It is a relationship with him. He is the way. That's why when he says, come follow me, I am life, I am truth, I am the way. It, when you follow him, that's what you discover. See, logic, logic. this is something Ravi Zacharias used to talk about all the time. It, it, logic is not something you create or invent. You discovered it. It was there all the time. You didn't come up with it. You didn't come up with, with truth. Truth has a source. Logic has a source. Absolutes have a source. They come from somewhere. We know this. Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth. I'm not just telling you the truth. I'm not just not lying. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Good men do that. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the truth. If you follow after truth, what you will do is you will discover Jesus. So he goes on. Uh, again, I talked about how, the, how laws of logic aren't invented. Truth is also the same way. Truth is a revelation that comes from heaven. It's when you discover truth, like when someone presented that truth to me about, about absolutes, when I said, well, I don't believe there, you know, I, I, I believe there are more than one, I believe there's more than one way to get to heaven, right? So there's, there's A and not A, is what I was saying. And someone said, you can't have both because those religions that you're talking about that you say have another way, they, they, they're, um, what's the word I'm looking, not just contrasting, they're completely, um, conflicting. They cannot both be true. Jesus says, I am the way, and the Buddha says, I am the way. You have to pick one, right? It forces you into a place, and Jesus did this on purpose. He forced people into a place that they had to deal with this truth, and most people didn't like it. So let me kind of wrap this up. If there is absolute truth, then we're accountable to absolute truth. And if truth is a person, which I presented and submitted to you, that Jesus is that person, then you and I are accountable to him. And it goes on another place in Scripture says that, that we come to know this one who will judge all of humanity one day. I shared this with somebody the other day. Um, there's this passage, this beautiful passage. It's one of the most terrifying Scriptures to me ever. And it's not one you would think. It's just terrifying to me. And it's this. Jesus said, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. And so Jesus, the beautiful thing about grace is God gives this season that we're all in for humanity to receive the truth in mercy. But there's coming a day, hear me, there's coming a day when truth will be delivered with no mercy. So you can bow now in mercy and submit to Christ in mercy or you can bow to Him in judgment. But you will bow. Right? And see, if, you, if you're understanding, that's why Jesus said, follow me. If you understand him to be a harsh taskmaster, remember the parable, the story where he gives, he, in, he gives investment to these guys, and he says, go invest this, and they go, and the one guy comes back, and he hasn't invested, he hid it. This was his statement to him, you are a hard man. You are a hard taskmaster. And, and judgment came, why? Because he had a Jesus that wasn't an accurate Jesus. What was, why, why could he not have seen what the other two men saw? I remember one time I was talking to a, a, a preacher. He's a professor at our school teaching us in Bible college. And I said, well, you know, it's, it, I feel sorry for them because, you know, because they don't know. 
And I was talking about some things about the supernatural and how God wants to move in that way and how to experience it and how to enrich my life and rescued me and just phenomenal, amazing things that happened in my life. And, and why would people push back against this? Obviously, there's excess. I know that now. But I was asking. He said, and I was saying, I was excusing people. I said, you know, they just don't know. And he slammed his fist down on the table. He says, why don't they know? You know. I know. Do they not have the same book? And I thought, that's harsh. <laughs> but it wasn't. All it was was just saying, truth's absolute, Dave. You pick it. You, you have to make a decision. When we present something to you, I do this a lot. When I talk to someone who's a cessationist, who grew up cessationist, they're like, I don't believe God moves supernaturally. I said, well, then you can't, believe, you can't be a, a believer. You can't even be a Christian if you don't believe that. Because the first miracle that brings you into salvation is Jesus was raised from the dead, and you will be too. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then you, this is Scripture speaking, then you and I, are all men, are to be pitied. Why? Because we're believing, hear this, we're believing in something that's not true. But when you, found, when you find the foundation of truth, this is, this is what begins to change. All of a sudden, truth begins to be good to you, not negative. When you've submitted yourself to truth, it's no longer a taskmaster. It's no longer harsh. It's beautiful. It's gracious. It's kind. It's joyful. Why? Because you can depend on it, for one thing. This is Matthew 4.13. It's talking about this particular group, group of cities that had been prophesied about in Isaiah. It says, In leaving Nazareth, Jesus came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled. So this is a prophetic word to this region of these people. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, to the Gentiles. Very specific, pointing out these people groups. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. See, here's the thing. Jesus, there's another passage that says, and this is John, actually, the beginning of John. He said, the light came, but people loved darkness rather than light. So they rejected it. See, here's the thing. Ultimately, there are going to be people that we're going to have to work with, have to deal with, that have flat out rejected the light. They want nothing to do with the light. They hate the light. They hate God. The Bible speaks to these people. They are God-haters. Now, that's a tough one because you're like, well, how am I supposed to know? How do well, here's the thing. Just be gracious and kind and merciful to everybody. Well, that's mostly true, right? But what do you do to someone, again, if you're, you know, the Bible talks about um, these soldiers who come to Jesus and how, how do we walk as Christians? And Jesus says, be content with your wages, right? Don't, don't rip people off. So not one place does Jesus not condone an army in this world. Now, there's coming a day where we won't need it. But in this world, evil exists. And that means you have to rise up because truth is true. <laughs> and because some people want to bring their truth to bear in the world, it, it turns out that you have to take a stand for truth sometimes. And it's going to be unpopular, and there will be a price to pay in this world. But it's worth it. Because the price is paid in another world is much, much higher. Right? This is temporary. It's going to go away really, really fast. The older I get, the faster it went away, right? <laughs> and you'll experience that too as you get older. But if you, if you lean into this and say, God, I want to know the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, I still want to know it because it 
it does something. The Bible says that what it does is when you sit in darkness and you see a great light, you come out of the darkness and you live in the light. There's something beautiful. I, was talking to, I think I was talking to Travis about this at a coffee house the other night, about when you come into a light, if you walk into a light bright enough, eventually all the shadows go away. It's amazing how it happens. And grace allows you to do that. The kindness of God says, if you, if you come to God, the Bible says, come to him in your time of need, right? When you're, when you're broken the, the most, when does salvation even occur? It's when you're broken the most, right? You're not even, he, the Bible says that he came and poured his life out for you before you even wanted him, before you even cared about him, before you even knew about it. He, he laid his life down and had it prepared See how he works? And he wants us to work the same way, to be prepared. He prepared salvation for us to choose. It's up to you and up to me to make that choice. And then it's up to you and I, when we've made that choice, to present this glorious gospel to the people who sit in darkness. Why? Because they're broken. They won't say that they're broken. And oftentimes they'll, they'll pro- proclaim because they've been told by culture, you, you know, you fake it till you make it. Christians do this all the time. You struggle with sin, struggle with issues, <clears throat> because it's like, well, I can't, I can't let anybody know that I'm going through this, because what will they think of me? Well, if you know you, if you know truth, and you know Christ, and you know grace, we'll just think that you probably need prayer. That's what we'll think, right? <laughs> because if you don't, what's the alternative? To stay in darkness? If you do that, if you stay in darkness, the only thing that's going to come, because the Bible talks about sin brings death. There's something about this brokenness and this darkness that it brings death. Natural death and eventually, as we all know, spiritual death. So let me finish with this. This is from um, F.F. Bruce. He was a British biblical scholar. Very interesting guy. But he talked about verse 12. This is verse 12 in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. He says, Satan and his demonic forces rank among the highest angel princes in the hierarchy of the heavenly places. Yet all of them owe their existence to Christ through whom they were created and who is accordingly the head of all principality and power. He talks about that in Colossians 2.10. But some at least of the principalities and powers have embarked upon rebellion against God and not only seek to force men to pay them the worship that is due to Christ, but launched an assault upon the crucified Christ at a time when they thought they had him at their mercy. But he far from suffering their assault without resistance, grappled with them and overcame them, stripping them of their armor and driving them before him in his triumphal procession. It's powerful, isn't it? And he says this, Thus the hostile powers of evil which Christians must encounter are already vanquished powers. But it is only through faith union with the victorious Christ that Christians can make his triumph theirs. Let me read that last part again. The hostile powers of evil which Christians must encounter are already vanquished powers, but it is only through faith union with the victorious Christ that Christians can make his triumph theirs. And so I'm finished with this scripture. This is Matthew 7, 24. I read this, I think, last week or the week before. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them I likened to him a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Think of that as the truth, obviously. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The thing is, you have to know the truth for it to set you free. John 8, 31, we know. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Listen, I read those two scriptures together because we hear that scripture alone. You will know the truth, and it will make you free. It has to be dependent on that first verse. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. A disciple was someone who followed their rabbi and did what he did. It's not enough to know the truth. You have to do something with it. You have to apply the truth to your life. If you buy into the lie of the culture that you just can't know, then what will happen is the enemy gets you into this never-ending wandering around. The Bible talks about this and in, in, in about the Israelites. It said that they, they perished. They walked around with no vision. Right? Without vision, the people perish. It literally translated, they walked around because they didn't know where to go. And they walked around until they got tired and they died. And if that's not a picture of the world we live in, I don't know what is. But there's something more. There's a purpose for you and there's a purpose for me. God meant, when he, when he created parents, he meant for parents to be something, to do something, to apply something to their kids, to challenge them. And your kids are not going to like it. And if they were able to do it by themselves when they're four, they'd have their own apartment. But they don't, do they? <laughs> it turns out they need their mom and dad. Authority is supposed to be something. It's supposed to do something. It's supposed to be a blessing and not a curse. Paul said that. He said, I've been given authority to lift you up, to raise you up, to bless you and not to curse you. Jesus said the same thing. I came to bless, not curse. Truth, when you discover the truth, when you recognize it's not relative, but it's absolute, and the absolute truth is, is found in the God who loves you, who made a purpose for you, who longs to spend time with you, who wants to be with you, who's made a way so the sin that would keep you from him has been pushed away, it's been paid for by his son. That God, that God of truth longs to be with you. And when you understand that, truth is no longer a negative thing, it's a positive thing. And if you stand in truth, if you stand with this belt of truth, around you. It holds on to every other piece of the armor. It connects you. It makes you um, congruent, right? It makes you whole. It makes you mature. So seek the truth, but more importantly, seek to know the truth, and by knowing the truth, you come to know Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I hope this is helpful. It's a lot. Um, I'm throwing postmodernism at you, neo-Marxism, all kinds of crazy ideologies and stuff that's going on in the world. But I hope that you would explore this a bit because this stuff is going to come up, and if you don't apply it, um, you're going to get blindsided as a Christian. And what's going to happen is it's just going to throw you into a whirlwind, and you're going to. You know, the Bible talks about you're, if you're not settled in this, then you, what happens is you're tossed about like by the waves of doctrine, all these things, because you don't know what's true. So I want to encourage you, be a disciple. Go after this. Go after it with everything that you are. Build into your life this truth. Settle these things in your heart so you're not moved. Amen? Jesus, we say thank you, Lord. You are the truth. And Lord, your truth is kind and good. Lord, we, when, it, when we're arrayed against it, Lord, it's never kind and good to us, Lord. It's harsh. And we see it that way even. But Lord, when we've submitted ourselves to you, when we recognize the truth that comes only from you, Lord, that it's a revelation that you've given us as a gift. God, when we lean into that, 
all of a sudden, Lord, our life changes. Our heart is given to you, Lord, and we get a new heart. And Lord, we long to walk in the truth in every way possible. And Lord, as we draw closer and closer to you, as we become more mature, as we come into the light in deeper ways, Lord, all the shadows that are in us, those subtle things, Lord, that lead us astray, all those shadows begin to be pushed away. So Lord, we want to lean into you and say yes to you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't forget, if, uh, if you need prayer, we're going to pray for you guys. Uh, just stay in your seat and one of our leaders will come and pray for you. And if you're online and you would need, you'd like prayer, please uh, email us at prayer at dothancf.com and we'll get someone on our prayer team or one of our leaders to give you a call and pray for you as well. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.